Hello, everybody. Believe it or not, it's the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. Hey, hey. How's I'm it going? Dan Landrum. I'm Stephen Seifert. And you're Stephen Seifert. And it's good to see you, Steve. I know. Happy New Year. Happy New Everything. Hey, did you play the 8th of January yesterday? I did. Oh, no. But, it, it, you know, I did celebrate old Christmas. Um, do you I, know the story behind that song? I'm not saying that because I do know it and want to tell it. I don't know it. Uh, do you know how long it was after the the battle? No, wait that a song minute. Was written. You're talking about a battle. I'm talking about Christmas. Well, I'm talking about January 8th, the song. 8th of January. Well, I play that fiddle tune, Breaking Up Christmas, and that celebrates. Is it January 8th or the 6th? What? Yesterday was January 8th. Oh, man, I'm getting texts already. That's all right. Today's the ninth. No, people don't really want to hear us talk about the date because when they're listening to this, it's some date other than that. So we are the Dulcimer Geeks without uh, Aaron O'Rourke today. Who's, That's right. He's busy studying. He's busy going back to school, and we're going to try. Uh, we've scheduled to record next week, and just so you know, I checked with Aaron, and he can't do next week either because he's going to be at John C. Campbell. Dude, January 6th is old Christmas. That's what I thought. I just looked it up. Oh, okay. So I celebrated January 6th, old Christmas, but on January 8th, you celebrated the battle of what? In 1814, took a little trip. It's a great song. All right. Uh, What's new in your dulcimer world, man? I don't know. Let's just ease into this. I don't want to rush into this show. Hey, so we don't have to do dulcimer stuff then. Let's just no, this is the dulcimer geek show. Oh, no, we'll I'm we'll so get ready there. To do we'll get stuff. there, but this applies to us a little bit. I don't know how many people who listen to this podcast, like us, also listen to uh, the uh, oh, what's it called Mac Power Mac users? Power users. Katie Floyd left. What? Yeah. Oh, so you haven't listened lately? Was it? Was it? Was it contentious? No, I don't think so, but it's so strange because we've listened to, to Max Sparky and Katie Floyd for how many years? For yeah. years. Years. And Katie's gone. Well, I think she got her. married or something. Oh, she, good Because she her. wouldn't talk about it. She's always super private. Yeah, she's mega private. She's smart. She's an attorney. She's smart. She has 11 Apple HomePods in her house. Oh my goodness. She leaked that one piece of information on. Well, here's the thing. When I'm, you know, I started with an Apple IIc as a kid, then I switched to IBM, and then I met Dan, and I ended up with an Apple again. I've really enjoyed it. You've gone back and forth, though. You had, you had a, weren't you just a couple of months ago saying, hey, I'm thinking about getting this, this wind book of some kind? Well, I, I did get a Windows laptop for travel because it was like $199. And it's it's got Windows on it. I mean, it's it's perfect for printing. You know, do I need a two thousand dollar computer on the airplane? You know, so f- I, I do. You really... need any computer on the airplane? Can't we just sit still for four hours? Well, what I'm thinking about is when I get to a gig and I got to print out stuff. Yeah. And um, I've tried that with the phone and the the iPad, but it just works better with the computer. So anyway, I'm. That's that's it. But um, hey, you know what? Hmm. I've I've never seen Tall Glasner in front of a computer, and he gets his song of the month out on time every month, <laughs> and always has his stuff printed. He's got it together, man. Yeah. Uh, so 
Anyway. I was you, trying to teach my grandson the other day, and five is probably too young for this. <laughs> but I give him these things to memorize, and he's getting he's getting quite a few of them. Uh, but I'm trying to get him to learn now. The things you think you own, own you. Well, I know that idea. I would say that's partially true. Sure. I mean, I always love the idea of a good house fire. Just cleanse everything. Hmm. Everybody I know who had a house fire, they it was rough. You know, and somebody could have died too, but nobody did. So you've got this person, they just rebuilt their house. They they lost some family pictures and of course that's terrible, but other than I mean, they seem pretty happy after. Yeah, there's there's some research that not only do people who have had who have had tremendous tragedy in their life, like serious injury and, and even maiming and those kinds of things. Not only do they say they're happy, but they actually, when when they do brain, you know, MRIs and look at brain waves and those kinds of things, it appear to be happiness. What happiness looks like on a oscilloscope, uh, they appear to actually have found some kind of happiness that because they have a different outlook on life. And that's what this show is all about. <laughs> We're about, yeah, not about burning down your house. I wouldn't recommend no. uh, defrauding your insurance company by, by any means. <laughs> all right. I have a, uh, an actual help me out question. That oh, involves music and dulcimer stuff and everything. You need help. I do. So I taught this uh, a course that it was successful. I think everybody had fun and I enjoyed it. And we all learned called uh, Scaling Improv Mountain. Scaling at, Improv Mountain. Yeah, at Black Mountain. And at, in that course, I pulled out, I mean, there are so many of these, but I focused on the Gypsy Hexatonic. These, these are scale names that we're talking about, not people. Gypsy Hexatonic, Hungarian Folk, Minor Blues, Whole Tone, and Bebop Scales mm-hmm. as methods for learning how to you know, to have something to do, to have an idea. Hmm. Um, and it worked in the class because we got to play, you know, I would get some, I brought a, I brought my drum and I would lay down a drum beat and just let that drum beat play so that people could take turns improvising over this thing. Everybody at once for a while and then break it down, you know, so where we just went person to person. And we've talked about this before on this class People generally hate that idea, and it scares them Mm -hmm. that they're going to have to improvise something. But when they learn that improvisation isn't really just like some magic falls out of your brain onto right, you got to get you got to get them over that first. Yeah, so we we've given them something by if nothing else, just play the scale, and then play less of that scale than you think. Just play the scale on the downbeats, and just play these notes on the downbeats. So all of that works really well live. I'm recording some dulcimer school lessons that, uh, and here's where I need help, because I knew I was going to do this when I got home from Black Mountain in October, but I've set about trying to do it two or three times, and I find it's harder to teach in a static video. Oh, yeah, it's teaching improv. Yeah. What so- What am I missing? What do I need to... I mean, I can. I've got all the scales and all the. Sh- I've got all the class materials, sheet music, printed. I've got pictures of the instruments that show where the notes are. You know, so they can maybe see some patterns that I can give them. 
in the video, I'm having a hard time. I can give them a, a beat, just like we did in the class, and say, here, practice this, and here's me practicing it. But you know what happens when you show somebody, here's me playing this in a class? They play what you played. Yeah, well, I think that if you... Maybe the best thing to do is tell you what I've been doing because I think this really works well. Yeah, just I want to. I really am asking. I'm trying right, to figure listen, out how to do it. This might take a full two minutes to do. So, are you ready? Yep. Okay. So let's let me talk about this um, from the standpoint of a mountain dulcimer player. So first, I get everybody strumming a basic strum, so they're not having to memorize or read a strum. So for me, it's just a combination of quarter notes and eighth note pairs. So I tell people, get that right hand moving out and into the beat, whether you're hitting the strings or not. And for right now, we're going to hit every out and sometimes hit the ends also. But most of the time, just hit outs. So Wait, another I'm, way of I'm saying I'm going to interrupt that, you only because I'm taking notes. Okay. So basic rhythm first. Yeah, and let me say it a different way. Um, we're going to alternate to the beat, whether we're hitting the strings or not. Predominantly hit outs only every once in a while. Allow the pick to hit an out in or group of out ins. On a hammer dulcimer, you can do the same thing. You can just do like ghost. And you could get them to do that on one string, right? Yeah. I'd probably have them doing like a one five kind of thing. But anyway. But right now, I just want to do one note. But yeah, I get what you're saying. So um, next, as I tell them, you know, we're going to do a full strum. And we're going to make up melodies, but you're only allowed to use four notes. They're on your melody string, open, two, four, or seven. You can play a melody that's as fancy or as simple as you like, but it must be O, two, four, seven on the melody string with a full strum. And I I, want you to to try to be musical. Yeah, I need to translate that. So are we talking about, as far as scale degrees... One, three, five, and eight. Yeah, and I've been learning a little hammer dulcimer, so I'm looking in my mind right now at that shape. What is it called? Yeah, it's a shed or a box. And, it, and it's got a bridge on in the middle of it, right? Right. Well, on some of these it doesn't, but that's okay. That's right. But um, let's just say this is D and F sharp in your right hand. Not right hand. On the right side of the bridge and then A and D on the left side, and that's that shed you're talking about. Correct. So then I tell them, you know, I'm going to play backup, and I, you know, I just count them off. And it, I often will stomp my foot on one and three and do chops on two and four. And I just tell them to make up melodies, only using those four notes. Now, what happens is some people are too formulaic, or they might just go, um, oh, two, bum, four, seven, bum, oh, bum. two, four, seven. So sometimes what I do is say, all right, let's stop playing. I just want you to make up rhythms with your mouth. And I'm going to do rhythms for four beats, and then you do rhythms for four beats. So I'll go, and then they are supposed to do a rhythm with their mouth. And what I do is I prove to the room that, hey, you can make up rhythms. All right. So now let's do some simpler rhythms. And eventually we get back to the dulcimer. And I want them to be musical. I remind them what Satchmo, uh, Louis Armstrong, said. One way to take a solo is you do a you do a little idea, 
and then you do it again, but a little different. And then you do a new idea, and then you do that again, but a little different. Um, So I walk them through some of that, and I'm doing backup. It goes really well. Um, Even with beginners. Beginners can do this sometimes as well as the advanced people. So are you ready for the next step? Yeah, can I have a comment on this one? Sure. When I'm playing with these scales, you know, I'm not going to sit... I have to stop and think about them, and sometimes I might even have to look at what they are, because there are so many. But but then I get it in my head. Then I don't try to play anything. I try to sing it, even if I sing it poorly. Yeah, I uh, think that's good, and I've done a lot of that. And it's interesting, because if you take something simple that everybody would know, like a, like a, uh, a dominant seven, you're just going to, let's say we're just going to use band in a box and tell it to play a C7. It's like having a band that just plays one chord over and over. Yeah, one chord over and over with some drums and stuff with it. You can, or, well, I, don't, I shouldn't say everybody can, but you, you probably are going to be more comfortable just kind of making up a melody and making noises. And then do that. And if you notice something like, well, actually, that was kind of cool, then try to find exactly what you did on the instrument. Now, here's why I only give them four notes. Some people are freaked out by too many choices. So I'm giving them those four notes in the beginning. And this is these four notes, there's a reason I'm choosing those, because it is the very notes that make up a D major chord. D, F sharp, A, D. These are sometimes called chord tones, but I like to call them safe notes. So here's the next part. As I tell them, I'm playing a D major chord while you're making up melodies using only O, 2, 4, and 7. But that, although we sound pretty good, it can be a little bit too plain. So here's what I want you to do. Mostly use these safe notes, but every once in a while use neighboring tones in the scale, neighbors to these notes on the instrument in passing as you go from one of these safe notes to another. And then I demonstrate. So here's an example. I won't be on the right note here, but O, two, chick, O, two, chick, O, 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 one, two. That one was not a safe note, but it was used in passing. Here's another example. Wait, four, stop. Four, so that one four, that he was talking four, about. Four, five, four, 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 five, four, mostly using the four, but every once really? in a while using a neighboring tone and coming back to the four. Oh, okay. So hammer dulcimer players, when he says four, he's not talking about the fourth scale degree. D, and when D, he says D. one, <laughs> when he's saying one, he's talking about the second scale degree. And when he says four, he's talking about the fifth scale degree. Yeah, so it'd be better to use notes. So listen, I'm going to just do, again, this is a short melody, mostly using D, F sharp, and A occasionally using neighbors d d d f sharp d d d e f sharp f sharp f sharp g f sharp a b a a f sharp a f sharp so over a little bit of time i can get the room making up melodies only using the four notes that match that chord for hammer dulcimers that would be that shape but occasionally wander higher and lower to neighboring notes in the scale And I tell them, let's say 80% safe notes, 80% chord tones, but 20% wandering a little bit. Now, 
I can get just about anybody to do that while I play back up for the D major chord. Here's the next step, and then I'm done. We're usually in Mountain Dulcimer land. I know I'm working on changing this, but we're usually in the key of D major. And the three chords we need most often are D major, G major, A major. That'll get you through most of what we play. If I can get people to improv a melody to those three chords in the key of D and they fall in love with this, it doesn't take much to learn other chords and other keys. So here's the next step for Mountain Dulcimer players. We're now going to do a G major chord. The safe notes are O, three, five, seven. On dulcimer, that's on the hammer dulcimer, the notes are going to be D, G, B, D. So then we do that for a little bit. Just the G chord. Next step, I tell them we're going to spend a little time on D major. We're going to spend a little time on G major. Finally, I bring in the A chord. The safe notes are one, four, six and a half. On the hammer dulcimer, that's going to be E, A, C sharp. So eventually, I'm playing back up in the key of D major using D major, G major, A major chords. I usually call out the chords one or two beats early. I tell them not to switch till they hear me switch. I've given them a piece of paper with the safe notes on it written large. And even with beginners, after about 20 minutes, that's about how long it takes to do this, I've got people making coherent melodies, musical melodies to match chord tones. I'm calling them safe notes. Once I can get them to do this, there's so much great stuff I can do after. So yeah, it's interesting. How are you going to do how, So I know you're talking about doing it on video, and I've struggled with you know that's not as easy as sitting face to face with people. It's not, but but I think it can be done. It's just yeah. If you teach it enough to people face to face, you can imagine the typical. Problems. Isn't that funny? That's so true. Uh, can I? I want to. Boy, this is switching gears a bit, but that helps. So thank you, Steve. And these scales are a little. You know this. One of the problems with our our do re mi fa sol la ti do is if you play those on one and two and three and four and you don't land on the right note for one again, you end up all the way up into the next scale. And, and let me make the point that I resist using scales to teach improv because I feel like it gives people too much at first. That would be a next step for me going into the scales. When you do oh, the scales, always see the the safe notes or the chord tones as the main landing points. All right. I'm making that note. I'm going to add that to what I'm working on because I don't have one that's that simple. But you're Just saying... If you were to play the scale, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, re, you know, you end up. Yeah, the one ends up in the we wrong We want spot. safe notes on the beat, non-safe notes on the end for certain kinds right. of play. Right, and, and in most of these scales, since if we can talk about scales for a minute, it comes by adding the flatted seven or the flatted six. You take a seven-note scale, you add one additional note. That's right. And now it's, it makes everything fall on the beat. And it's been really fun to watch people, when you show them that simple concept, just kind of go, 
I sound cool. <laughs> it's really cool. When I first learned it, I learned it from bebop players, or well, at least reading about it. Um, all of a sudden, my little runs started making sense. Yeah. And I all remember right. before I learned this thinking, man, why doesn't it ever work out? <laughs> but we want, if you're playing a bunch of eighth notes, not all the time, but usually you want what's on the beat to reinforce the chord tones of the current chord. Yeah. So I here's, oh, here's yeah. an I example. Read you. Oh, oh, you, oh, got, you got a new one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Perfect. There's an extra note in there. Here's another one. And you can add that in different places, but often players will put them in one place coming up and in another place coming down. Yeah, and I think. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So recently I've been looking at the, uh, what's the name of that book? Intermediate Jazz. It's Bouchard's Intermediate Scales for Jazz Players. I don't know that. I think it's one you turned me on to, actually. <laughs> or it might be your book. I don't know. And. He starts out with a series of essays, just a kind of you got to get your mind right, Luke, sort of way of uh, approaching this. And reading through that the other day, it fits. So just listen to this one paragraph. He's talking about the extremes of thinking. No thinking. I just want to play. Like if you're not thinking at all, like people who who's like, man, I just want to play. I don't want to think about the notes, you know. He says uh, he, uh, that leads to chaos unless you're somebody like Chet Baker or some other ear genius. And but then the opposite is the person who's thinking all the time. What am I doing? You know what was that? That becomes unimaginative and clumsy. Not to mention non-swinging, which is interesting. He uses that term. It's like the arguments for and against using a metronome when you practice. You shouldn't always or never use a metronome. Right. You should use one sometimes, as with the exercises. Likewise, when you're playing, you should expand the moment so you're thinking some and reacting intuitively some. Sound hard to do? Maybe at first, but you'll get the idea. All this takes time, as you're probably aware. The payoff is that you can learn how to do play amazing solos, which very few people actually do well because you can operate in a constantly changing musical context by reacting instantaneously to the circumstances through the use of a combination of intellect and emotion. There's nothing else that expands the moment like this and the feeling is truly unique. It allows one to feel part of a special club. Is that not cool? Yeah. I mean, that makes me think of a few things. The people that Say, I don't want to think, I just want to play. Well, the truth is, they're going to have their own way of thinking. I mean, you, it's like, right. but they're acting like they're not, well, they just, it's, it's like their magic. What are they doing? What do you call that? I'm telling them to think about this. They're saying, I don't want to think. Then they're going to do it their own way, which is thinking. What is that? <laughs> That's so weird. And then the metronome, this people with the least develop rhythm. The, re the least developed rhythm abilities, they're the ones who always say, well, I don't want to use a metronome because I don't want to sound like a robot. It's like, dude, you're not in danger right now of sounding like a robot at all. <laughs> like you're on the far end of things. Yeah, we, we aren't there. And, the, yeah. you know, and I tell them, let's just be a robot. And then when we turn the metronome off, 
I think you'll be a better player. Every time we turn that metronome off, you're going to be better for the time you have spent with the metronome. Because truthfully, until you can, until you can have the extreme of robot playing, you can't accurately deviate from that extreme. I don't think, in a way that's that where you can cooperate and communicate with others musically. Yeah, you have to have internalized some of that stuff. Like, I don't know. It's almost like you really have to know how to keep a checkbook balanced in order to survive those times when you can't uh, have your checkbook in front of you. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I think the other answer when you're trying to learn this stuff is that the the answers that you need, the instructional material you need, is available about three clicks away. And it's all the music that you like to listen to. Listen to stuff that you like to listen to and then examine what other people are doing. Uh, And I think, to me, and and not everyone learns this way, but that bit of discovery is the way to get into it. Sometimes people say to me, why do we, why, I don't want to make up something. And I say, well, that's okay, because some people like to do it more than others. But some of the huge benefits, let's go back to those safe notes on the mountain dulcimer, 0247. Once you can make up melodies using that, then I give them pre-existing melodies, and I say, let's see what's going on here with the tunes that we play in jams. And what you see is those tunes are doing the same exact thing. They're making heavy use of safe notes, occasionally wandering left and right to neighboring tones, generally not emphasizing the non-safe notes. So I tell them, let's look at Soldier's Joy, four, four, two, four, four, two, four, 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 five, four. Uh, well, that's mostly using safe notes. So that's one thing is, is, hey, the melodies we play are doing this. Here's another thing. If you're wondering what chord goes with a melody, look at what notes are being used the most, and you can make a good guess about what chord is going to go with them. So if you see lots of two and four, there's a good chance that it's going to be a D major whose safe notes are 0247. So the second thing about improving with these safe notes is you can see what chords will most likely fit a melody. And then what I like to do is have them play a tune like old Joe Clark. And I'll say, we're playing the melody, but every once in a while, we're going to abandon the melody for two measures, pay attention to the current chord by looking at the chord symbol on the paper, and just make up stuff like we did a little bit ago. And that can be a half hour. But I love being able to just tell the class, make up stuff. They see what chord is happening. They slip back into that mode. And then I'll go, return to the melody. I mean, when you do that enough, then you explain to them, this is the music you've heard your whole life. You know, whether it's country, blues, jazz, rock, pop. We hear people playing melodies, but sometimes we hear extra cool stuff going on. I mean, I... Yeah. I feel like sometimes when we teach improv, maybe we give them too much, too many choices. Um, so I love being able to, to also, when the end of the tune's coming up, I'll yell out for the last two measures, make up a cool ending. Everybody abandons the melody for the last two measures. They just think safe notes and we all end. It's pretty cool. I think that's where shaving a haircut came from. That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> Yeah, so, but else. I think the main thing is, 
we often think in extremes. And so somebody is either saying they just would rather improvise all the time or they hate improvising. But the truth is, is it's a spectrum and everyone is on the spectrum, right? I think everybody can find their place in there. Yeah, I still have a goal. And I was going to ask you this anyway to see if you have it. But do you remember and did I give you or did you help me once upon a time to transcribe Charlie Parker solo and Donna Lee? I had it in a book, and it, I have. I'd like to memorize it as well. Uh, so one of my life goals <laughs> is to be able to play that at speed. I think it would be good because we would experience. It would force us to face the music. You know, I mean, it, it's so great to memorize somebody else's improv because you can all of a sudden. It's like putting. It's like putting. It's like walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. You really can start to understand what choices they were making. Well, and there are a couple of things that happen in there too. Is that's where I way before anybody who knew what they were talking about explained it to me, I started to sing this predominance of half then whole, then half then whole, or this, this, these moving holds holes or, uh, like augmented triads, you know, that they use to move places, things that do very specific things. And they, well, I mean, these guys, they know what they're doing. It's that combination of that thing I read earlier. It's not just that they're it's the thinking about where they're going, not just where they are right now. And yeah, and the more you do it, the more you can. Like sometimes I'm not thinking about where I'm going, but if I just if that thought comes to mind, Steve, think about where you're headed. My improv gets instantly better. Yeah, but you have to then, in order to do that, you do have to under understand chord structure and memorize it. And for I, me, as a hammer dulcimer player, I'm just confessing but only because I think there's so many other hammered dulcimer players. I'm not special who got into this the way that I did. And they started learning tunes quickly without a whole lot of thought playing to, if I was to, if I was the guitar player, what would I be doing right now? You know, if I was just doing backup for this and on, that may not be as true on the mountain dulcimer because you guys chord more, a little more than we do, but hammered dulcimer players, it's pretty easy to have a big repertoire and not do backup on many of them. Uh, so it's good to spend some time just doing the backup. So the chords are in your head if you want to start improvising over the chords. So, um, I still have a girlfriend. It's still Heather and she got a hammer dulcimer for Christmas. Cool. And, um, we were just at Kentucky music winter weekend and she got to take four different, five different instructors, maybe four. It was so cool because, you know, about all I know on the hammer dulcimer, I could play the melody like you're talking about without any backup. I mean, I'm not great at it, but I at least have the idea in my head. And I've got the idea of those chord shapes a little bit, although I, I can't quite execute them. Uh, but it was so cool to check in with her after those three days of workshops. And she told me a lot about droning about you know how to add things with the melody how to do backup it's it was so it's like i'm a little jealous i'd like to spend three days learning <laughs> i don't think the hammer dulcimer is hard but it's almost it's harder to i don't know it's it's like such a mystery at first it's just scary it's like oh there's a million notes what do you do um 
some of the ideas are really effective, but not complicated. You just, it's nice to get a little help to see these things. Yeah. If you want to do more than just, I think if all you want to do is just learn tunes, you don't need a lot of help. There are just so many places to do that. Are there a lot of people playing hammered where they only play the notes of the tune as if they're a fiddler? I don't know about a lot, but it seems like that. I mean, that seems. I mean, that's not a bad place to start. What the the um? Who's the fella up in? Oh shoot! I'm getting old, Dan. Um, up in Michigan, the the grand old master of hammer dulcimer, Bill Robinson. Yeah, he's definitely adding in extra stuff, right? Yeah, Bill's he's the he's the real deal. He he's playing what you know. Bill's a music. He's not. <laughs> sometimes when I think of hammer dulcimer players and myself. I feel like I'm a poser as far as being your own musician. Then I then I think, no, wait a second. You've got some cred. You know, you've played with lots of complicated people and had to do all kinds of musical things with this instrument. Bill comes from that, except he comes out of you know playing guitar and just everything else in these show bands. I mean, they did. They toured and played all kinds of things, and people didn't care that he was playing hammer dulcimer. They, you know, it was just another instrument in the band. It's one of the things that I really respect about him is that's his approach. What do you mean show band? He he had bands that traveled and played a lot. They all wore the same dance halls or something. Yeah, and they all wore the same suit. They did comedy routines. They wear funny hats sometimes. The, you know, think about old time shows. He did that. So, like in the south, we have bluegrass, but up in the north, it's it's more tunes. Yeah, but sometimes they were making fun of the south too. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just it was a shtick thing. Yeah, he's an interesting guy, super sharp, super funny. You know, he's a showman. So we got to talk about. Speaking of showman, you're the mayor of Signal Mountain, Tennessee. Isn't that the strangest thing? No, people, it's real. It's for real. It's a still the strangest thing. You're a doing, mayor. I walked around with Dan. We were walking down the street, and he was waving to people like we were in Mayberry. It was really yeah. cool. I've always done that, though. I, I know. A, I've seen you do that. That's right. But now you're. it just fits better. I mean, it makes sense no, the mayor would do it. Out of nowhere, five-year-old daughter of a friend of mine the other day saw me wave to somebody in the car and she said, Mr. Dan, <laughs> did you wave at them because you knew them or do you just wave at them because you wanted to? <laughs> oh, that's funny. That <laughs> was really cute. That is funny. Yeah. Well, I would say it's a little of both. Yeah, well, I guess it is a thing that I didn't know that I had. But how, but um, you didn't have to be mayor, right? I like that voting system. What What's the deal with... What were you previously... Councilman, and I'm still a councilman. You ran for councilman, and how many are there in Signal Mountain? Five. And so, when everybody votes for the councilman, they're, they're not voting for the mayor. And what's the deal again? The one with the most votes, the one with the no, least. No, I, I think most people think that's the way it works, but it doesn't. The council then has to select the mayor. So oh. you get voted to the council, and then the council votes again. So the council voted for you. Yeah, not the first time. <laughs> it was no no one who's on the council listens to this, but you know it was a little tense. It it took a few minutes. Well, it's it's um it was an awkward thing because I had people saying Dan, 
you have to vote for yourself. We want you to be the mayor. You have to vote for yourself. And I know you, you won't vote for yourself. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that. And someone, the, the advice that... Oh, you had to decide if you were going to vote for yourself. Or yeah. Not. And the advice that swayed me was a person who said, I had to have this conversation with my daughter who wanted to run for student council. Uh-huh. And she said, I'm just not comfortable voting for myself. And she said, you know, uh, if, you, if you don't think you need to be doing it, then don't vote for yourself. But if you think you want to do this and need to be doing this, then you must do that. And it's like, you, that's good advice for a kid. That's good advice for me too, even if it's awkward. Well, so how much time does it take to be, I mean, how many people are in Signal Mountain? I mean, it's not a bit huge town, right? Right. We're about 8,000. So how much time does it take for you to do a mayor job? A little more than I thought, <laughs> but maybe that'll get better. You know, we came off a couple of years of controversy and some of those things are selling themselves out now. And now my biggest focus is on communication, uh, getting, putting our boards and committees in higher prominence, uh, so that it, it's to me felt almost like what citizens do as an afterthought, and the council acted apart from that. Uh, there's this fundamental thing that that I've learned, and I think it can be fixed first at the local level, like what we're doing here, is that some people think when you run for office, people are voting for you because you're a leader, and that's. And all this exists on a spectrum also, but that's at one end of the spectrum. The other end of that spectrum is people are voting for you for office because they think you will be a good representative. And then you've got to decide somewhere in there because you come with your preloaded with your own opinions and goals and things too, right? But everybody needs you to represent. Right. But not everyone agrees. So, uh, I think it's important that you be able to take – if I was describing what I think is what people should bring to the job is a, an ability to represent the opinion of someone with whom you disagree in a way that they would say that's fair. You're fairly representing my position. Well, wouldn't the, you'd want it to be that way with your wife, right? If she, If you didn't totally agree with her but she was making a decision and moving forward – yeah, yeah, I think I, I think it's really good to learn how to cooperate. Like somebody I met who's a mayor, I forget who it was, but they told me they have the luxury of not having to worry so much about Republican Democrat. No, they, you don't at all. Yeah. So tell me about that real quick, because that sounds kind of nice. Well, it's just it doesn't. I don't. Maybe it exists, and I had some people tell me what they were. But generally, when they told me what they were, they were telling me because they wanted me to know that I'm voting for you, and I think you're the opposite of me. And I had people on both sides tell me that, so I'm like, that's the way it ought to be. <laughs> they don't know where I am. So there. Well, so you're. Um, how long are you going to do this? Is it what's the longest you might do it? Well, I could get recalled at any moment. But. Oh, really? So they could vote you out at any moment? Absolutely, yeah. Not only could they vote me out, the council members could vote me out. And you could vote yourself out. Well, it'd have to have it'd have to be a majority. I could quit. I mean, I could quit the council at any time. You could do that. But there's this thing called a recall where if enough people decide they don't like you, they can put your you know put a petition together and then force a vote. 
uh, where you get recalled. It doesn't matter what position you have, you can be recalled. Now, so. you told me that when they voted, you you obeyed voting laws, but you were at a distance and you were playing hammer dulcimer while people voted. That was so cool. So if they they vote to recall you, will you also play for that? Absolutely, I would. As a matter of fact, I want to start a tradition that that happens. It was it was very cool. So yeah. So at the election, I did not ask a single person to vote for me. I set up my booth and I set it up away from all the other politicians who all had folks out there shaking signs and holding balloons and giving out bumper stickers and telling people to vote for somebody. I didn't do I didn't do it one time. I just played Hammer Dulcimer. <laughs> you said some myself. guy came up and he was like, "That's good of you having a Hammer Dulcimer player, you know, at the uh, election." <laughs> yeah. More than one person came up and they said They didn't know it was you. No, people would come up and say, "This is so nice. Uh tell Dan Landrum I, I appreciate him doing this and that I voted for him." <laughs> like, Don't you okay. believe there's people out there that would not vote for you simply because you are a musician? <laughs> think there's got to be a little bit of prejudice there maybe so tell me this steve and we'll stop talking about me in a second but i'm speaking before a chamber of commerce uh, that represents signal mountain and red bank next week and the guy said uh you have 20 minutes you can talk <laughs> about whatever you want to yeah do i take an instrument and play a song It could go either way, and you could split the difference. You know what you want to what you want to be careful about. Like if I was in that situation, I don't want people to think I'm showboating. Is that a word? What does that mean? Showboating? I'm not. I'm not just there trying to, to get show a gig. For for me, it would mean trying to get a gig that pays on a showboat. <laughs> oh, that's right. I wouldn't mind playing a showboat. Yeah. I don't know, but it's um. You see where I'm, I'm coming from? Because in this thing, when you have citizen representatives, which is what we are. You don't get this gig, and then all of a sudden you know what you're doing as a mayor. I mean, I'm still, I do what I do. And I want to do that a little bit and represent, like, look, this musicians can be respectable people, too, who you can trust to decide whether or not uh, you're going to build a new entrance to the high school or whatever. It's so hard to not talk about you the whole podcast. But yeah, you recently, really hard. you sold the magazine. I think you've talked about that before. Did we? I don't know. Did you? Yeah. Maybe. Ashley's doing great. So I just met oh, her. Yeah, She's we did. cool. Yeah, we had Ashley on the podcast. What am I talking about? Oh, but you definitely sold it that Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, I want to use this. So there's this great story about Conrad Hilton uh, of Hilton Hotels when he was on Johnny Carson. Do you know this? I saw this with my own eyes. Uh, uh, tell me. Johnny, Johnny Carson says... Uh, you know, they, they joke and talk. And he says, so, you know, here you are. You've got this, you know, the biggest television audience in, in the nation. If you could tell everybody one thing, you know, what would that message be? And Hilton leans forward and he goes, put the curtain inside the tub. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the number one way they end up losing money in a hotel? Yeah, yeah. well, it was back then. You know, so they all have those hoops that lean out now. So it's uh -huh. a different thing. But my thing would be, my e my DP News email address is going to go away soon. Oh yeah, Dan so, at dpnews.com. No it, longer. No longer. So you know, maybe for another month or so, start to write me at dan at danlandrum.com. Dan at danlandrum.com. That's not too hard to remember. No, it's pretty easy. Yeah. So uh, what about what about you? I'm really 
uncomfortable with this conversation. It's nice because you're always interviewing Aaron and me, and I don't know. This is kind of nice interviewing you a little bit. Yeah, I'm not that interesting though. All right, well here, (laughs) here's something neat that happened. Roughly 20 years ago, Fred Meyer, jam one of the jam meisters. He used to play with Jim Miller quite a bit. Um, Fred went to Saint. I don't know how to pronounce this, Cartier, France. They had a hurdy-gurdy festival. And he had all the intentions of buying a hurdy-gurdy. And I believe he came across, I don't know how to pronounce this name, Gats Tibor, (laughs) which is a Hungarian zither maker, a citra maker. So Fred buys this Hungarian zither, which is very much like a mountain dulcimer, but very different also. Um he came to Murfreesboro about 20 years ago and spent a week with me in my apartment. And I got to play this thing. Really? And, um, so I've been thinking about it ever since. And then I don't know if it was six weeks ago, I get an email from somebody in Hungary saying they would really like all my stuff. But, um, I think they were trying to avoid shipping and they were, I may be thinking of the, the the value of the money going one way or the other. I'm not sure. But she What's said, it? my husband will be in Nashville, Tennessee in a couple of weeks. And I wonder if, you know, she was, so she was asking me how much, you know, give everything to my husband, you know, how much? And I said, well, would you be interested in a barter? <laughs> so I said, I really would love to have a Hungarian citra, zither. Um, so she, she started hunting around and she found this one from the same builder that Fred, you know, Tibor Gatz is the name, right? Tibor Gatz. I guess that's how he's, and this guy is, I guess the most famous builder. Um, he was featured, uh, at the Smithsonian Folklife Festival. Uh, if you look online, there's articles, there's videos, shows him in his home. He sings, he plays really neat guy. So. I meet this her husband downtown at Vanderbilt, and he and I'm thinking it's. I, first of all, I didn't know who built it when they got it. I think that's true. Wasn't quite sure of anything. I didn't even know if it'd be in good condition. He opens this thing up. It's beautiful, and then he strums it, and it's in tune. I have to tell you, uh, I I love them. It was an open one that you put on a table, you know, so you get the resonance of the table. That's right. Many of the older ones did not have a bottom. Um, I think this this one actually has a bottom. Really? But here's the thing. If you go to my Facebook page, just my regular, you know, profile, I made a post and you can see and hear just a little snippet of what I've got. But you can also, uh, T-I-B-O-R-G-A-T-S, is that right? You're not going to like this. What? I just got 502 Bad Gateway at your website. Nah. Yeah. My website? Yeah. StephenSeifer.com. See if you can get it. was working yesterday. Hey, this is good for the podcast. No, it's all right. We're real people. Is it working for you? Not right now. All right. We'll come back to that. These things do happen. They do. Um, but if you just search for Hungarian Zither, Hungarian Citra, C-I-T-E-R-A, you'll see, especially on YouTube, there are communities of people that are just, they're playing really well. And the neat thing about this instrument is you've got a regular diatonic fretting 
So no six and a half fret. You just got the regular diatonic frets. And after that, on like a little bit over, there's some other frets that, you know, they're not, they're not in between the diatonic. They're beside them. And these are the missing notes. So you got all your half frets over there, you know, oh and a half, one and a half, three and a half, four and a half, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Six and a half. Um, and then beyond that, there's a whole bunch of drone strings. I haven't counted them actually, but they're tuned to roots and fifths and octaves. Um, the melody string and you know, it's not just one string. It's not two, it's four. So what's really beautiful on these things is the tremolo, like a mandolin tremolo. It sounds really good. And, um, I've started working out these fingerings. I've I'm I'm figuring out little tricks. Like if you have four strings as your melody string course, it's easy to play harmonies because you got four strings right there. So I'm doing harmonies. Um, I'm figuring out chords, and then I'm just some of these players are amazing. There is something going on in Hungary, and I would say outside of the United States, it's the most active fretted zither community in the world i think um they and, and and if i'm not mistaken most of them it can be had for the equivalent of one to two hundred dollars really but there's i think you know i'm trying to decipher these websites i think they got something going on where they're not charging a lot but they want to be i could be wrong about this but it looks like they want to be sure you're a player or you you know like I think I, it almost looks like they're keeping the prices low to make sure they can spread the music and they can get new players. I'm I don't know. Oh, that's neat. That's really I honestly, cool. I don't get it. Hungry, but. you know. Uh, maybe you paid more attention to world history and other cultures than I did growing up, but who knew? I mean, I th I think of gypsies. You know, and who knows much about Hungary unless you get into it for some specific reason uh but once you get into it i guess my besides the gypsy thing zoltan kodai is from hungary and this whole solfage thing and shape note singing and all of that stuff comes out of hungary did you know that no kodai was the one who put together the the hand the hand symbols for solfage singing and started teaching children a movable dough as opposed to a fixed dough so that they understood it just uh, he had I, some of them were controversial but a lot of it's still taught today he had some very specific opinions about how children's brains develop and what they could and couldn't do at certain ages and those things and he came up up with this method of teaching children to sing based on solfage and it's interesting, I don't remember much about it, but if you look at it, we tend to think of solfage as do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, right? And and that system does as well, but he doesn't start with the interval from do to mi. He starts with uh, mi to fa. Because he thinks it's easier for children to learn that minor interval first. 
and then slowly adds other things. You, you didn't. Oh, that's interesting. If you jumped into it, Steve, you'd enjoy reading about him and his ideas on the the best way to teach people pitch and how to understand it. Well, one thing I've got from this last weekend, I was in a choir room, and I'd always wondered about this. I'd never looked it up, but they had it on the wall. You know, you've got do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. But what do you do when there's some flats or sharps in there? So the sharps, let's see. Re, re to fa is what I meant, by the way. Sorry. I said re to fa. Yeah, okay. the, the minor. Oh, starting on the major third, re, mi, yeah. fa. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I got to look this up. But like, for instance, if you do a minor third, I think it's do, re, me, or do, re, re. <laughs> I don't know it yet. Oh, oh, yeah, no, no. Remember I told you on the Ani tour, that's what everybody else did except the Americans. They'd go, no, it's do, re, 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 mi, ma, mi, ma. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You're really? going, oh, no, because we didn't know how to do that. Oh, well, I want to get, I want to look that up. But it's just... It's no, it's outside of the major scale. Of course, they're sharp or flat, and so yeah. No, but no, they no, used no. actually tone. May. So me is your major third. May is your minor is your flat third. Um, Ray is, is your but... second. Re is your sharp second. It looks like. Yeah, I never learned it, but it makes me want to learn more about it. And again, there are teachers who teach children the Kodai method of music. It's a common thing now that you can have done. Your kids aren't kids anymore, are they? Well, they're... Oh, that's some good news. So, Ellen is 15, Elijah's wow. 16. He's driving. She's getting her permit, I think, or practice permit, whatever. Or is going to. Um. So, they really... They're pretty musical. Cool. Um, and they wanted guitars this Christmas, so we, you know, when you're buying a, a, when a professional musician is buying an instrument for a loved one, you want to spend the least amount of money to get the most, <laughs> you know. And um, I wanted it to sound nice. I wanted it to be playable. I wanted it to be in tune. So um, it was a good little hunt, but. Um, they both got nice guitars now, so... Well, you can't leave us without telling us what fit that. All right, well, one of them I'm real confident about. So, Seagull makes one called an S6. And I think it was about 500 bucks. And, you know, now I'm not a professional guitarist, but I talked to a lot of people, and I, I feel like it was the most guitar for the least amount of money. And, um, and then the other one, I forget what it's called, but normally I'm not really excited about Alvarez, but a friend of mine recommended I look into this new line they got and it sounded good. It looked good. It felt good. It was in tune. The action was great and it fit the bill. Ellen wanted a smaller guitar. She didn't want like a giant, you know? So, um, it was from there. I don't know what they call it, their folk line or their blues line. It was, yeah. it was pretty cool. And, you know, I had to make the choices my customers always asking me about, like, do I get a pickup? And I thought, well, if I got $500 to spend on a kid's guitar, do I really want 100 of that or 150 or 200 going towards the pickup? You know, I'd rather have a great instrument. 
Um, I feel like the first step is just to get a good instrument, but I, I would never sacrifice the instrument just so I could have a pickup. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? Because the pickups are all sacrifices anyway. <laughs> Even if they're good, they're bad. My opinion. Sorry. So now you got me freaked out. About? <laughs> this whole website stuff, it's all so crazy. I mean, we're barely keeping up with this. Is it still down? I've got my stevensiever.com is good until December of 19. I mean, December of this year. It's showing bad gateway. This is a Bluehost problem or a, is it are you Squarespace on that one? Yeah. And my Ooh, Squarespace me, account is good. Let me check mine. And make sure my <laughs> You know what'd be funny is if anyway, so all this web stuff. You know, if you want to be a musician today, no mine's up. Of course it would be nice if all you had to do was play. You know, and you made enough money where other people could handle things. Mine's but, up, DP News is up, and they're both blue they're both uh Squarespace. But you've gotta you know, if you're a kind of a working middle class musician, you gotta understand domain name assignments. So here's the funny thing. It's back up. Yeah, that's all it was. It's back up. Look at that. But I will do a little advertisement here. This is the first time I've seen my Squarespace site be down and five years that's pretty amazing yeah and um i mean no websites up all the time but um if you guys i look we dan and i have used it all let's can we do a pretend commercial just practice yeah maybe squarespace will hear us and say that's right you know we'd like to sponsor that program so when dan and i first started making websites we didn't even know each other but we used html yep. and then later added in a little css Dreamweaver. Okay, and I got Dreamweaver and did a little bit of that. Then the next thing I did is my friend Brady calls and says, you need to check out Joomla, a content management system. So then I got Dan onto that. Entered the gates of hell. <laughs> I, I think we. I also experimented with with WordPress sites. Sometimes, you know, when I made sites for other people and any when you're when you got a when you've got a popular website at least somewhat popular you kind of get attacked by these pro these sentient beings no i don't know what they are they're like these russian robot hacker programs that crawl around the internet looking for vulnerabilities and the since we went to squarespace everything's been smooth and i don't feel like i have to think about security i don't have to think about coding or anything and there might be some options i wish i had that aren't there but i can generally do 98 percent of everything i need to do and it's easy i don't have to be a geek anymore so uh, this is not a commercial but if you need a no. website really squarespace <laughs> like is one. pretty cool it totally sounds like one Get and I know this. there's other ones, but I've looked into them and I don't like them. But I'm sure that, you know, this can't right. be the only decent solution. All right. Get this. You'll like this. What's that? I got an email. It is 11 days ago on Saturday, December 29th, 2018. I got an email. I'm not going to say who it's from because I've written her back that said, don't know why you can't find me. I have used this website off and on for years, Dan. Sent from my Yahoo Mail for iPhone on Tuesday, July 13th, 2010, 10.36 p.m. Now, wait a minute. You're freaking me out. <laughs> she had gotten an email from Everything Dulcimer. 
In 2010? Yeah. She was trying to log in on everything Dulcimer and got the auto emailer back and was writing me a week, 11 days ago to complain that I should know <laughs> about everything Dulcimer, which is... And I wrote her back and said, I'm no, wait, not. Wait, you got to back up. I'm lost. Is she real, tried this, to log in to Dulcimer Players News? No. Everything Dulcimer oh, in 2010. Oh, okay. You're she got an email. So she we got were an email. Everything Dulcimer back then. In 2010. She got an email 11 days ago from That's everything a- Dulcimer that had been floating around the ether somehow, or maybe she just accidentally found it. But it popped up in her email, and she wrote me back and said, I don't know why, you know. Uh, anyway, I wrote her and said, we haven't really, the site doesn't exist anymore, and we haven't been involved in that for a long time. For almost a decade. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's funny. Computers, though, almost make the, well, modern technology makes older things seem more recent. Like when I was a kid, you would look at photographs from your like when my dad was a kid, it was black and white. It was a weird shape, everything, uh, you know, and it, it looked like a million years ago. And now if you look at photos from the 90s, it kind of almost looks fine, you know, to me. Yeah. And the, the uh, all the videos and the, uh, and the websites, I mean, I don't know. There's some strange sense of time. I feel like the sense of time has changed. The sense of the passage of time. But I'm getting older. I mean, doesn't that happen? That's what uh, James Taylor, Secret of Life, is enjoying the passage of time. Hmm. Huh. Not bad well, advice. Maybe it's not the secret, because we told it. And he did, too. He put it in a song that was popular. Um, I've been playing with synthesizers too much. And I, I think this is an important thing. So I'm a professional mountain dulcimer player. I love teaching. I love being on the stage. I really love teaching. I just, if I watch myself after teaching, I'm like, man, you must like that. <laughs> um, but at home in my private time, although there's been some dulcimer stuff for sure, 80% of what I've done at home for the last five years, that's half a decade, has been synthesizers. And I have learned so much you can't even imagine and i've learned all these different production techniques and different software i kind of don't even understand it but it's like i'd wondered about that stuff my whole life and i you know i dove deep and i can't overstate that but now i'm thinking all right i'm not going to be a professional synthesizer player i might use it i might do something but really i love teaching dulcimer i love performing um, I have to listen to this. This is weird. I really don't want to sit here and work up new mountain dulcimer arrangements right now. I mean, just the selfish part of me is not interested in that right now, but I know if I through self-discipline, if I spend the time and work up some new tunes and arrangements and ideas, I know that when I get on that dulcimer stage where I love to be, I will be so glad that I put the time in on these things. Mm-hmm. It's like, I really need new material so badly. I mean, people told me that six years ago, 10 years ago, maybe. Um, if I could, it's so weird. Cause it's not like I don't like playing. It's just, 
you know that private time where you get obsessed with something like right now I'm getting obsessed with the zither and I feel like that's good that might be good enough for now you know because it's like a dulcimer but that private obsession where you spend a lot of extra time researching exploring it's an adventure and um I haven't had that for the mountain dulcimer recently even though I love I love playing and teaching so isn't it strange that now, you know, now I've been doing this over 25 years, I have to say to myself, put in the time, you will thank yourself every time you teach it, every time you perform it. But what, isn't it weird that my private obsession is, I mean, do you, it's it's not entirely like I've gotten bored, but it's almost. Yeah, you might have lost the uh, addiction to the adrenaline rush of how good it feels when you're, when you spend a little time today. Even though you recognize, I may, I may not remember this tomorrow, but then tomorrow, because of all the other ad, stuff that adds up to become who Seifert is and what his mind is able to take in, tomorrow you remembered more of it than you thought. And then that feels pretty good. And if you just give it a little bit tomorrow, then the day after that, you've probably added a new... St- this isn't true for everybody. It's probably true for Stephen Seifert. In three days, you've added new things to your repertoire. Well... That, you got to perform them once to get over the nerves. You know, when you get a new thing, you got to perform it to see what works and what doesn't. It's almost like you have to allow yourself to crash a little bit. Yep. I feel like you've it's testing things by fire. Then you get back and you think about what you're going to do different. Do it again. It, it, it's not as bad the next time. You get back home. You figure when you finally get a new piece tested by performance, tweaked, altered when the improv starts to come in, when certain other parts start to solidify, isn't that a good feeling to have some yeah. new thing? That's, that's what working? I mean. Yeah. But hey, it's man. like, I don't care what I'm playing, but my audience does. I can't just put, you know, I would probably be already right playing the same five tunes everywhere. Just doing them different all the time. I don't and think that, the audience does as much as you think they do. Well, I remember with David Schnaufer, if he did all his classic, if he played for 45 minutes, and did two or three things I'd never heard before, I felt like that was a perfect show. I just yeah. wanted a few things I'd never heard before. Right. Remember, you were becoming Stephen Seifert at that time. So what about you? Like, I know you and Aaron worked on some duet material, and I know you're always... You know, you and we both kind of work on technique and improv more than we work on tunes. Is that true or not? Do you mean that in a... Is that a judgment call of some kind? Is it a good thing or a bad thing to work on technique? No, I'm asking. Like, have are you in a similar place or not? Do you like if you went and did an hour set for people who've seen you a hundred times, would you have two or three new things for them in that? Yeah, I do because I've been working on new stuff. But that's great. But you know, it's not all as together as it ought to be. I mean, Uh, do you feel like what? Like over the last ten or five years, are you happy with? your output of new material well we're at the end of the show and i don't don't want to start a whole new thread but so maybe (laughs) we can talk about this more next time but i've i'm very free right now and i think i talked about this maybe before on the podcast probably multiple times that i've always felt you're more free keep going yeah i've felt a little bit like because of my association with dulcimer players news i couldn't always do exactly what I wanted to do because I didn't want people to be afraid to buy the instrument 
if they're looking for Hammer Dulcimer articles, I've, I've written many, and I didn't want all of my stuff to focus on the experimental kinds of things I'm trying. Like right now, you know that cool drum I've got that uh, I've, I've shown you before? The yeah. one. I've got a just a, a guy who works on MRIs, who, who like mods MRIs for special scientific huh. uses. So he's super, super electronic sciencey guy who is helping me figure out how to take the voltages that come out of my mixer off of the microphones through the mixer and convert them with the right electronics so that the inputs on this thing think that somebody's hitting the head of this drum. Yeah, a control voltage. Yeah. That would so, trigger an envelope. So you could have right. an envelope follower reading the voltages coming out of that thing. That's right. And so what I because that's and may not interest anybody at all. But I don't care because <laughs> it really interests me. Dude, we got to talk about that. I know. I, I, know. I, I got you covered. Yeah, it'd be interesting if you do. I, well, you know, I talked to Brady first about it, and Brady said that's really kind of out of his line. But but um, he just referred a video to me of a guy who does just that. Okay. Well, I need to need to look at it. So, But you're until more just free a, to do that. Why, why do you feel like you couldn't do that before with the magazine as much? Because there's only, a, there's only so much time where you can write about things that you're not, I mean, you kind of need to be into what you're doing. So Deeply. I would try to make what I'm into, like what I was going to put in the magazine, be what I was into. Even if I didn't necessarily want to be into that, I'm always looking for ways to simplify. I don't feel I have to simplify anymore. I've got a submission, a, a significant amount of material on Dulcimer School that teaches the beginner stuff. And there's it's always easy to create more beginner things to help people get going. I want to do what I do now. And I think there are other people who want to go other places with this instrument that could benefit from, let's take it a little farther now. And for me, again, I'm, I feel really free to say this now because I've had people say before, I don't want you trying to make me be a drummer. Well, now I don't have to care about that as much anymore because I'm not responsible for the content that goes into Dulcimer Players News Magazine. Somebody else is doing that, and she'll, I'll write for her, but she'll get other people to write as well. And if people aren't interested in what I write and what I'm producing, it it's doesn't okay. hurt her. She can just say, well, this doesn't work for my well, audience. Well, there is a percentage that's going to be interested, but you don't have to try to please 70% of the people or whatever. That's right. I'm not So I feel like I'm free. I don't have to do that now. <coughs> and that's pretty cool. And I'm also, experimenting you have more time, fun. right? I mean, um, I know you're a mayor now. That's the only problem. <laughs> the town stuff's taking a little more time than it should, but you remember how... Does it take how, as much time as a magazine? No, not at all. Yeah, because you remember how You remember that program that I started using years ago called The Brain? Yeah. And just got really into it, and I built this, this big complex... It's not really a mind map. It's called The Brain. I built this big complex brain of connections of things. I'm applying that within my... Uh, my town work stuff now. That's almost like simulating you having an amazing brain that can quickly find and make connections. Well, it's about recall and it's about, so like with the town, you have, you know this from GTD stuff. You've got issues that are active or you've got projects that are active and you've got projects that are maybe someday, projects that are sleeping, projects that are waiting for things. Well, the municipality has all that as well. You've oh, got yeah. issues that are active. You seem like then, you might be unusually capable at that. It seems to be working, and it surprises me. It really does surprise me because I've shown – this sounds so geeky. I've 
had opportunity and reason to show a few people my brain when we're talking about town issues. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh boy. Because <laughs> you sort of see it all networked out there. You know, you if can you don't at, show anybody that and you just make them think your your actual human brain is doing that, you, you can remember probably all become a god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I doubt that. And who would want that anyway? Dan, but, you know what we should never do again? Mm, we should... No, let me, let me answer this. Hmm. You should... Pick your friends. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. What? What should we never do? Well, I would recommend you don't pick any noses, yours or anyone else's. <laughs> I got mature and didn't go there. I thought of it. Um, we should not avoid doing the podcast. So we have on the calendar to meet this coming Tuesday. Um, and we're going to record another show. We're going to try. We're going to do our best. Yeah, Aaron can't do it. Okay. Well, Aaron, he was going to... He was going to be um, a physical therapist. Now he's thinking maybe of nursing. I think the jury's still out. On we don't what, know, but I on fully what? expect him to become yeah. Doctor O'Rourke. Something amazing with a PhD before. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. So we'll we'll give him time to study. Hey, thanks a lot, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.